This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Recently, the White House announced that it was going to put a 30% tariff on certain types of washing machines, but also solar panels coming into the country. The U.S. is one of the leading locations in the world for solar energy, but the problem may be directed at the Chinese government. Reports say that the reason for the tariff is the Chinese government subsidizing solar companies in that country. And because of that, their costs are lower and lower-cost solar panels from China are flooding the market. But another concern is what this does to the U.S. solar industry itself. Here to discuss that and more in studio with Mauro Guillen, Wharton International Management Professor, who's also director of the Lauder Institute, and also joining us on the phone, Matt Gold, who's an adjunct professor of law at Fordham University and a former U, uh, deputy U.S. trade representative. Mauro, great seeing you again. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Matt, as always, great to talk to you. Yes, great to talk to you. That's Deputy Assistant U.S. Trade Representative, but thanks for the promotion. Not, not a problem. Glad to give it to you. Uh, so uh, your reaction, Moro, I guess, to this story in general, more so from the trade aspect of it, because trade issues right now seemingly are drawing a lot of attention, especially between China and the U.S., well, I mean, I think I think there are two levels uh, of analysis here, right? One is uh, what is motivating the uh, the administration to uh, impose these sanctions right now. Is this the beginning of a uh, series of uh, sanctions uh, because there's other issues out there? Um, um, is the administration trying to send a signal to these particular countries? Uh, uh, what is going on? That's one level. The other level is, as you discussed, this um, longer run. Uh, what is the uh, impact that this is going to have on the development of the uh, U.S. solar industry. How is that going to change the economics, the costs, and so on and so forth? Uh, and um, how does that play into the uh, overall energy policy that um, our country uh, should have for the next uh, five uh, to ten years? Um, so I'm, I'm leaving aside the uh, the washing machines. Uh, yeah. I, don't think, uh, I don't think that's the driving the force here. Yeah. The implications are, I think, uh, ramifications for the future are less um, you know, interesting, I think, or less important. Uh, but yeah, so there's multiple levels at which uh, you know we can analyze this, and uh, hopefully in the next few minutes we can uh, we can go through all of the details. Matt, um, yeah, I, I agree with that that breakout. I mean, we have first of all a significant impact on uh, the United States as a result of these tariffs. Our transition to this renewable energy is going to be slowed down by these tariffs, which is a big um, environmental issue. At the same time. Anytime you impose trade barriers, you're helping one part of the U.S. economy but hurting other parts of the U.S. economy. So all of that is one basket. And the other basket is the question of whether this is indicative of a broader protectionist trade policy, which in a few moments I'll argue it is not. Well, let's start with the, uh, the, the, the reporting, Matt, that, that the Chinese government is supposedly subsidizing this industry and helping out these companies. Fact or fiction on that? Um, probably fact, but you have to keep in mind that you can't mix and match and confuse these different issues. Okay. When the United States wants to impose trade barriers over and above the normal trade barriers, there are five different categories of situations where we can do that. And the subsidy category, which leads to countervailing duties, and, and this surge of imports category, which leads to safeguards, which is what we're talking about today. Safeguards are two entirely different things. They're different kinds of investigations that look for different criteria and lead to different kinds of trade barriers. So subsidization is not relevant to this. The other issue, which obviously is brought up and, and has been brought up by the president on, on a couple of occasions, is the, the issue surrounding the trade deficit with, with China. How, how much of a, of a piece is that in this? 
I, small. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. One. I don't think it is a uh, major motivation uh, at this point uh, because neither solar panels nor washing machines make a huge yeah. contribution to the uh, U.S. trade deficit. Yeah, you know, really, um, uh, you know, from that point of view, there's like uh, maybe three or four other categories of uh, of goods. Yeah. Uh, that make the uh, the largest contribution. Uh, one of them being uh, automotive um, goods, uh, automobiles or auto parts. And uh, so I don't think uh, uh, you know that uh, is part of the uh, of the debate right now. I mean, regarding these these particular announcements by the administration. Well, Matt, take us deeper into this from your perspective as to the impact that this is going to have. I guess also from the trade perspective, but also f- uh, from how this would uh, impact the solar industry as well. Well, the impact is, you know, if you're in the solar industry and you're installing solar panels, uh, this is going to hurt you. Um, if you're doing anything that doesn't involve the actual manufacturer of the solar panels and modules, this is going to hurt you uh, because fewer people are going to be buying them. This will cause the prices of solar um, cells and solar modules to increase on the U.S. market. So fewer people are going to be converting from fossil fuels to the solar power. Fewer people are going to have um, these uh, solar panels installed. Fewer people are going to have the other equipment that goes with the solar panels installed. And so everyone in all of the solar industry, other than those who are manufacturing the cells and modules themselves in the United States, are going to get hurt. Um, But the U.S. industry that's manufacturing the uh, modules and the cells, they're going to get held because the price of these on the U.S. market is going to increase. Mara? Well, yes, and that um, uh, that is exactly uh, what uh, then uh, raises the question as to jobs, right? So, yeah. uh, yes, as a result of protectionism, there's always the possibility uh, that more manufacturing jobs for solar panels. There's a couple of companies in the United States which actually, you know, have been lobbying the administration for imposing these sanctions. Yeah. Uh, but most of the jobs that are created in the um, solar uh, industry in the United States are... Uh, not in the manufacturing of the solar panels, but rather in the manufacturing of uh, some of the other equipment, including the uh, the steel frames where the panels sit, yeah. um, uh, the construction jobs, the uh, installation, and then the servicing, right? So I think it's a little bit naive to think that, uh, well, by imposing a uh, 30% tariff on solar panels, you're going to be creating jobs in the United States. Right. Maybe. Uh, but at the same time, if investment in solar um, farms goes down, then all of those other jobs, most of them service jobs, and in fact, jobs that maybe, uh, you know, in some cases, uh, are paying very uh, nice wages, um, they're not going to grow as much, and some of them might actually be uh, disappearing. What's the impact? But, you know, oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Matt. Dan, Dan, just let me to jump in here, because this is very valuable, and that was a great contribution. You know, this particular type of trade barrier, safeguard, is not about improving the U.S. economy. It's about helping one particular small manufacturing sector. And usually when these kinds of safeguards are imposed, the understanding is we're going to hurt the U.S. economy as a whole equal or even greater than we're helping it. But for some particular policy reason, we're still going to help one small sector. So the expectation then in terms of the trade side of this, uh, the the relationship between the U.S. and China has kind of gone back and forth over uh, the last 12 to 18 months to begin with. How how is that relationship affected by this, Matt? It, it's well, it's affected in a couple of ways. First of all, um, the Chinese are much more worried about a couple of sets of investigations on uh, other kinds of trade barriers that are coming up. One is the national security investigation, um, which could yeah. lead to very significant trade barriers on Chinese steel and aluminum, and the other is 
uh, the retaliatory retaliation investigation, which could lead to very significant trade barriers uh, on Chinese goods in retaliation for China stealing U.S. intellectual property rights. And I, I believe that this particular safeguard tariff is not indicative of the United States necessarily imposing the national security trade barriers or the retaliatory trade barriers anytime soon um, that are coming up down the road. But it's making the Chinese very nervous because those other two investigations, which will be done soon, could lead to much, much more significant trade barriers in terms of the volume of Chinese exports to the United States that would be affected. Mar? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, one political reading of uh, of this announcement is that um, perhaps uh, the administration is not ready to um, you know, move on uh, those uh, measures uh, regarding aluminum and steel, which would be much more consequential, or even intellectual property, although right. there's a long history behind this. Yeah. Uh, and that, um, you know, the political calculation here is, uh, well, let's uh, do something so that our base uh, thinks that, um, you know, we're doing something about um, unfair trading practices and about the deficit and about all of these things. Let's do something relatively innocuous because they don't really care about the solar industry that much. Uh, and let's uh, then move on, on to uh, other priorities, right? So that's one potential political reading. I don't know. Uh, whether it is the correct one, I don't have any insider information. But uh, I think they, they probably feel that they need to do something um, at least, uh, uh, you know, symbolic uh, to show that uh, the U.S. is, uh, you know, that they're putting America or the U.S. first, uh, the U.S. economy and U.S. workers first, although in this particular case, I don't think it particularly helps the, either the economy or, or the job market. So, the, Matt, then, because of the other issues that you mentioned uh, regarding uh, the Chinese government uh, and other potential uh, sanctions that they could be uh, be dealing with, this, this to me, when, when I get the information from both of you, uh, it doesn't feel like it is, it is so significant that we would see China come back with some sort of reprisal against the U.S. on a trade barrier of some kind. No, absolutely not. And let me just take a moment to say that I, I strongly agree with what Professor Guillen just said. Um, I watch the politics of this very closely down here in Washington. Um, and Trump is really failing uh, in every front in his trade policy. And I think the timing of this of uh, his announcement of his final decision was moved up, and this is entirely political, so that he can try to show he's doing something, uh, because he's really failing in every other guard. The, the NAFTA renegotiation is, is a complete failure, a predictable one, um, and he's not going to be able to impose the national security barriers uh, on China that are coming down the road in a couple of months because it will violate WTO rules. Um, he's not going to be able to impose the retaliatory barriers on China without getting WTO permission, which will take years. And he won't even be president anymore when it happens. So Trump is now running into that situation where he can't fulfill all of his bluster and baloney uh, about trade barriers and protectionism, but he wants to put something that will look high profile, even though economically, as Professor Guillen points out, uh, it'll have very minimal impact. Um, now, having said that, you had just asked me another question, um, and your question was about China's concern uh, themselves of what's coming down the pike. Was that your question? Yes, correct. Um, you know, China is getting nervous by the Trump rhetoric, um, but they understand um, that these safeguards were almost certainly consistent with global trading rules. These are protectionists, but safeguards are one of the very few types of protectionist trade barriers that are permitted uh, under WTO rules. We impose them rarely. 
They're very targeted for very particular products from particular countries for temporary periods of time. Um, and, but they are protectionist and they are legal under the global trading rules when you do it right. When you conduct the investigation properly, you do the analysis properly, you show that all the criteria that are, must be in place are in place, then it is legal. And there will be a WTO act, a challenge of this, but it will probably turn out that these safeguards on both the solar panels and the washers are legal. The national security barriers coming down the pike are not going to be legal under WTO rules, and the retaliatory barriers won't be legal under WTO rules unless we get WTO permission first, which will take years. So the Chinese do know there's a big difference, but at the same time, they're still nervous. 844-942-7866. If you'd like to join in with your comments or questions, 844-942-7866 is the number to join in. One, one of the other stories that I saw recently, Matt, uh, regarding this also uh, looked at the, the relationship that the, the manufacturers in China have over here in, with over here in the United States and the supply that they've been sending. And, and also the fact that China is also a, a a, a very much a burgeoning market for solar power right now. And the fact that a lot of the manufacturers there are putting a lot of their investment strictly specifically in China because of, of the growth that they see coming up in the next few years because of some of the changes within the administration uh, over there about climate change. Yeah. China is just a massive potential market for solar panel. It, first of all, the, the country itself is so enormous, it's a massive market for anything that it uses. But second, solar power makes so much sense uh, on a policy level, it's just hard to get it moving on a commercial level. And it, when, you, when you have a centrally planned economy like the Chinese have, they can mandate a shift to solar panel that can, solar power that can happen much more quickly than it would in a market-oriented economy. So, so China is a staggering potential market for solar panel, for solar, pa- solar pa- power and everything that goes along with it. So, you know, that is another issue. The, the fact that, that products go in both directions uh, and the fact that they're a market, not just a producer, um, just makes the whole thing more complex. But you also can't deny the fact that the Chinese government has put huge government resources into developing solar panel m- power um, and much more than we have. Uh, and now we're looking at it, the problems that arise for us as a result of that. So then what, what is the expectation on how this is going to be playing out in your mind, Matt, and, and the impacts felt on both sides, uh, the U.S. and China, with this? Um, I think there'll probably be a WTO action to essentially confirm that the United States did the investigation analysis right, and these are legal, and, and they'll probably will be found to be legal, and that will take years. And while that's simmering on the side, I think we're then going to probably hear the Trump administration finally step forward and say, uh, okay, here was the Commerce Department investigation on the uh, safeguard on the uh, national security, but the United States is not going to move forward on those barriers. I mean, I think that's going to play out when that happens. The Chinese will be greatly relieved and tension will be ratcheted down to to a great degree. Uh, In what I consider to be the unlikely event, the United States imposes significant national security barriers on on Chinese steel and aluminum. Um, Then I think everything goes in a completely different direction and and we we see a real blow up and and a risk of collapsing the global trading system. Morrow? Yes, I think um, uh, that is the uh, the analysis I would make. Uh, uh, Once again, I think, um, uh, you know, these two tariffs um uh you know don't don't make uh, don't change the uh, the playing field really right, right? Uh, but moving into the other two um, areas uh, that would change uh, the situation and uh, let's not forget that china 
also has leverage, right? I mean, they could say, well, we're not going to import as much, um, uh, you know, by way of agricultural produce from the United States. Right. And by the way, most of that uh, production, uh, especially the mm-hmm. grains, uh, come from states that supported Trump. Uh, and then the other the other issue is uh, China does buy um, aircraft from the United States, yep. uh, and there's a uh, competing supplier, which is Airbus in Europe. Um, and they've been, you know, very clear that uh, they might uh, change their sourcing policies, right, for some of these uh, uh, some of these goods if um, if the United States were to move in that direction. So, I think uh, you know what we need is a is a clear uh, long term um, uh, trading policy here that benefits the U.S. economy, but at the same time, that doesn't assume that China or, for that matter, Mexico are um, helpless uh, countries that have no uh, you know resources at their disposal to also shape that relationship. So I think yeah. the right way of doing this is to sit down with the Chinese, sit down with the Mexicans, and see what is the uh, long-term relationship that we want to have in terms of trade and investment. That, that's the piece to it, which I find, I find interesting, is that you know this is not just a one-way issue, the U.S. out towards whatever country you're talking about. This is this is back and forth, and I, I think sometimes maybe that's getting lost in the mix here oh, right absolutely. now. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's in the best interest of the uh, of the U.S. worker, of the U.S. economy, of the United States as a country, to find a um, an accommodation with China and with Mexico, and to find a, a way of uh, uh, engaging in fruitful and mutually beneficial trading relationships over the long run. Uh, and uh, I don't think we're there uh, yet, right? Especially with all of the uh, threats about renegotiating NAFTA or renegotiating our relationship with China. We need them. They also need us. Yeah. Uh, we're on the same boat, really. Right? Matt, what's your thoughts? Well, the, the, it's a great point. You know, the U.S. has always, and the rest of the world, including Europe, has always managed China differently than any other country when it comes to compliance with global trading rules. Um, we let China into the World Trade Organization because it was a better move to do that than to keep them outside of it. But we understood it was going to take China a very long time to come up to speed, and we knew it was going to be a long, slow slog. Um, but China has moved the ball forward a great, great deal. And the last two administrations, Obama and W. Bush, um, in the in the you know the period since China came into the World Trade Organization, has had constant engagement on in 30, 40, 50, 60 different areas where China was not in compliance with WTO rules, and constant negotiations all year long, annual um, meetings where they benchmark progress, and slowly, 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 we've moved the ball forward with China. And the progress has, yes, always been too slow, but the feeling has always been that that's the only way you can work with China. The government is so enormous, and it moves so slowly, and change is so difficult in the culture of the Chinese government that um, that's the only way to, to, to achieve progress. Well, Trump came in with a completely different point of view and a completely different approach. And what he's done is he's, he's not completely shut down that progress, but very significantly slowed down that already slow progress in favor of a more confrontational approach. I don't think that that's going to succeed in the long run mm-hmm. um, with China. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons uh, if we time, I can have time. I can go into them, but I won't now. Why that that is sort of doomed to failure? But that's that's the change we've seen. Well, give us a couple of them at the top. We've got a couple of minutes here before we have to end the show. Um, well, let's look at this retaliatory move. Will eventually this this three hundred one investigation is going to show China is stealing our intellectual property rights? We are entitled to retaliate. Then we have to go to the WTO. We'll spend years getting the WTO to prove it. And then when we finally get to the permission to retaliate against China for this, the kind of retaliation that would be so severe that it would change Chinese government policy, would hurt the U.S. economy 
very, very severely, which would be one reason why we wouldn't even be able to engage in that retaliation when we finally have permission to do it. And the fact that it would hurt China's economy so bad would be a national security problem for the United States. So in the end, we wouldn't be able to use those retaliatory barriers um, to the degree we would need to to solve the problem anyway. Great having you uh, both with us today. Thank you, Mauro. All the Thank best. You. Thank you. Matt, as always, great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Thank you. Joining us here uh, in studio, we're again uh, international management professor here at the Wharton School and also director of the Lauder Institute. And also joining us on the phone, uh, Matt Gold, who's an adjunct professor of law at Fordham University and also former deputy assistant U.S. trade representative joining us here uh, on Knowledge at Wharton. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.